friends. Welcome to A Braver Brand, the podcast. I am your host, as always, Kate K. McCarthy. And y'all, I am beyond thrilled this week to be welcoming to the podcast my friend Maricos Rhodes. Together with his Spoonful partners, Maricos runs Spoonful Farm, just a couple of hours outside of Seattle, Washington. And it was such a gift to welcome him live here at our headquarters, aka my office, for a conversation that I am proud to share as a part of our mission series this January. In this week's episode, we are going a little off the beaten path outside of the typical online creative industry where we tend to hang out, where Mariko shares with us his own story and why he never imagined that he'd be in farming, all about Spoonful Farms' core mission of loyal to soil, how their mission sets them and their process apart and why it is about so much more than food, what his biggest challenge has been so far, and I'm going to give you a hint, it is something that we all struggle with no matter the industry why it is all about relationships and storytelling, and the metrics that really count when it comes to success. It was such a gift to be able to have this conversation and now to be able to get to share it with all of you. Without further ado, here's Maricos. Uh, Well, my name is Maricos Rhodes. I grew up in Seattle. Mm -hmm. I grew up about a mile and a half away from here, um, Central District, Madrona area. And if you had asked me six years ago uh, to name the top 10 career paths, I don't think farming would have been on there. Um, Grew up in the city, had no real uh, connection to rural life, to kind of land use issues other than not wanting all the forest to get cut down. Right. And... Um, I went to college out in Massachusetts and spent a summer uh, as a forest ranger in the Cascades back here. And after that summer, realized that um, I had to devote my life energy to helping nature in mm-hmm. some way. Um, and so that found various expressions in summer jobs. I worked for a um, a big NGO advising how to you know structure climate change agreements yeah, and yeah, frameworks yeah. and that wasn't really right for me it was a lot of thinking and spinning wheels and not a lot of action and then i worked for a clean energy finance company which um i enjoyed you know there are a lot of interesting problems that come with finance especially when you're looking at new technologies and i actually I got a concussion that summer. Mm. Um, So I was playing lacrosse and I suddenly could not work on a computer. So um, it was sort of a blessing in disguise for me. So I actually moved out to a farm for a couple weeks and worked on a farm and uh, had kind of an amazing recovery experience from the concussion and um, began to realize that uh, there's a lot more to farming than um, sitting on a porch playing a banjo. <laughs> so after school, I moved to a farm down in Oregon. It was a pasture farm, uh, grass-fed beef, lamb, chickens, sheep, pigs. Um, and working there for eight months, all of the neck and head issues that I developed from playing football and lacrosse for a long time totally went away um my body was just extremely healthy my mind was happy and sharp and i realized 
um, this is kind of how I thrive. And I became uh, a little bit spoiled for city life. <laughs> I, I like being able to see stars at night. And I like being surrounded by trees and hills and grass and animals and birds. And uh, I really realized that um, farming the right way can go a long way and move the needle a long way to uh, reduce our climate change impact, reduce the uh, resource degradation, and uh, just the negative impacts of humanity on this planet. So right now, the way that much of agriculture is set up, we are, as a species, continually depleting our resources and polluting. And um, I could go into a lot of detail about that. And yet, there are many people who are uh, combining sort of traditional forms of agriculture with new technology and figuring out how we can grow food in a way that actually builds our resources, cleans our water, stores carbon dioxide out of the air underground, and produces biodiverse habitat for many, many other species. Mm -hmm. And so it really, it changed the way I think about humanity more mm. than anything um so instead of seeing environmental issues as there needs to be fewer people and we need to have less economy growth and less development and we need to preserve what i began to see is if we change our attitude towards nature and we change the way that we interact with nature and we change our fundamental cultural orientation then humanity can actually be a force of uh, benevolence mm. and um, regeneration and uh, productive growth on Earth. So that it's not just we've gotten so far along the lines in terms of climate change that, like, it's irreversible. What you're talking about is, like, there are ways of interacting with nature, with each other, with the world that will actually heal what we've done so far. Uh, absolutely. I think awesome. – um, I think there are a hundred different angles mm -hmm. that need to be taken to address climate change. Yeah. You know, there's energy, there's... Right, multi-pronged approach here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and regenerative agriculture, agriculture is a huge part of that solution. Yeah. And what's also really attractive to me about regenerative agriculture is... It's the most direct interface between nature and humanity. Totally. Michael Pollan, who is a huge inspiration of mine yeah. and should be a huge inspiration for everybody, yeah. has this amazing quote and he says, food is where nature becomes culture. Dang. Yeah. Amazing. Whoa. That's yeah, a good yeah, yeah. one to ponder. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, we've been on spoonful farm which mm -hmm. is the farm where i work for almost two years now and um we have a lot of people who say wow thank you for growing such amazing food it's so good mm -hmm. and i say you know i appreciate your gratitude mm -hmm. i feel gratitude as well and really it's not really us growing it mm -hmm. you know we put the seeds in the ground right we you know, spread the compost and we kind of set the conditions so that the combination of soil, 
water and sunlight right. can come together with these beautiful plant and animal genetics to create the amazing food. So we didn't grow it. You know, we set the conditions for mm -hmm. the growth to occur. Tell me about why Spoonful and why, mm -hmm. like what the mission is now that you're working on, now that you're working kind of in concert with and relationship with the land yeah. and everything that grows on the land and everything that feeds on the land and all of that. Like why, what's your mission? So Spoonful Farm began in February 2017. And we started with this mantra that I sort of came up with called loyal to soil. So um, that's sort of the core principle mm -hmm. that we work on. And the phrase comes from an E-40 song, actually. No way. Yeah, called That's Choices. Amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's a great song. So. It's one of my favorite taglines I've ever seen, ever. I talk to Patrick, <laughs> my husband, all the time. I'm like, they need T-shirts because I'd buy one. Oh, we do have T-shirts. I'll get you one. I'll get one. Awesome. <laughs> yep, we do have T-shirts. Just I'll put them online. Sweet. Um, so, Loyal to Soil. Loyal to Soil. And um, it's easy to remember. It rhymes. And it's actually really true and what it represents to me is a fundamental um, reorganization of our thought processes mm -hmm. with regards to agriculture. Mm -hmm. So modern agriculture in the industrial mainstream conventional quote unquote right. sense um, is all about how do we maximize yields? So how do we get the most corn or soy off of an acre? Right. And it's not about profit. It's not about nutrition. It's about pounds of food. Fascinating. Which is, you know, on one hand, yes, I can understand why that would be something to strive for. But uh, the effects of that paradigm are to pump the land full of synthetic nitrogen, mm -hmm. pump the land full of fungicide. So you have this cascade where you start with synthetic nitrogen. That ruins the soil biology. It causes all these chemical imbalances. So the plants get weak. Mm -hmm. And then you need pesticides. Mm -hmm. And then once you spray the pesticides, the pollinators are decimated. Yeah. And then once the soil becomes imbalanced from the synthetic herbs, uh, synthetic fertilizers and the pesticides, then weeds crop up everywhere. And so you need the herbicides. And herbicides, not only do they cause cancer, as mm. the, there's a recent case about Monsanto being sued because a groundskeeper mm. using Roundup got cancer. Right. Yep. Um, so that's an interesting case. And not only do they cause cancer, but they also... Um, the molecules bond with magnesium and potassium and other uh, minerals that are necessary for plant growth and for human growth. Mm -hmm. And so the plants can't uptake those metals out of the soil, those minerals. Right. And that makes, means they're weaker and then you need fungicides because they're vulnerable to disease. And not only are the plants weaker, but then the nutrition isn't in the plants. And so if you look at, say... Almost any crop, mm -hmm. you know, a, let's just say corn, because yeah. corn is like the American plant. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, the nutrient levels in corn over the past 50 years have gone down between 30 and 75 percent. 
just the minerals, which yeah. are necessary for optimal right. health. So you need to eat almost two to three times as many calories to get the same amount of nutrition. And when you have dietary cravings, yeah. your body is craving nutrients, minerals, vitamins, huh. not calories. Right. Mm -hmm. And all of that comes from the paradigm of we need to maximize our yield from this crop. Mm. And, you know, even further back than we need to maximize yield is this thought we need to take total control of our environment. Mm. We need security. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is we can never take total control. Right. Nature's going to win every time. Nature's always <laughs> going yeah. to win. Yeah. And um, so what Loyal to Soil is really about is, look, nature is going to win. Nature is like this beautiful woman who's extremely powerful beyond all measure. Yeah. And how do you talk to a beautiful woman if you want to be friends with her? You don't say, you have to do this. You yeah. have to produce that. That's, right. that's the definition of toxic masculinity. So instead, Loyota Soil is saying, look, we can do things that take care of you mm -hmm. and enable nature to manifest this amazing abundance. Right. And we can take our share. Right. So we take care of the soil, the soil takes good care of the plants, mm -hmm. and then the plants feed us really well. Yeah. And um, we're doing this on a small scale. Right. You know. Right. Relatively small. Um, medium scale. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there are people um, who are doing it on a large scale, which is really going to move the dial. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Which is which is very inspiring. And, yeah. Um, I will say for every listener here, if you really want to take control of your own health, mm. know the farm where your food comes from. Mm. Understand how they think about their soil, mm -hmm. how they treat their soil, mm -hmm. because that's going to determine the nutrients that go into your body yeah. and your health. Um, because this, the organic label will only tell you so much, but... Uh, social media can tell you a lot. Talking to the farmers can tell you a lot. Visiting the land will tell you the most. Mm. Yeah. So as a, I mean, you are a small business, right? Like mm -hmm. you are, you're coming at it with this larger mission. And then also like the need to create a sustainable business for you and your partners and all mm -hmm. of that in the business. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting that you were talking about in terms of like, quote unquote, conventional farming is that this metric that they've chosen is actually kind of a meaningless metric because it doesn't actually relate to mm -hmm. any version of like sustainable businesses. It doesn't even relate to profits because the government no. gets involved in all of that kind of stuff. And um, so kind of meaningful metrics for a small business obviously yeah. profit is huge for that but also like the ability to see your mission through time and time again like what does that look like what have been what have the obstacles been for y'all since 2017 mm -hmm. so um the loyal to soil mm -hmm. principle that we start with yes from there we derive three sort of sub principles awesome one of which is have a sustainable business. The other of which is heal the land. Actually, that's the first one is heal the land. Yes. Because that's where it all comes from. Yeah. And then 
the third one is um, sort of spread awareness. Okay. And so, you know, I have worked on a small farm an hour and a half away from the nearest town. Mm. And, uh, you know, you're in a garden barefoot. Mm -hmm. There's, you can't even hear cars. There's, you can't see, like, there's no internet. (laughs) You're kind of really on the land. Mm -hmm. And I know those people. And that's where I learned a lot about soil and plants and Mm -hmm. kind of how we can kind of create this better paradigm. Right. And there are a lot of people who are in that paradigm and that's great. And I see Spoonful Farm as somewhat of a bridge between that world Mm. and the world we're in right here, right now Mm -hmm. in Seattle. Yeah. So folks who live um, in the concrete world. Right. Folks who are in internet culture. Mm -hmm. Um, So for us, it's a lot about um, sort of bridging the land knowledge with um, people who live in a city and deserve, and even if they don't know it yet, want this type of food yeah. and this type of connection to nature. Yeah. So what we're offering is a real and beautiful connection to nature. Mm. And that is a key to us creating a sustainable business. Right. So uh, at our scale, we can't play the commodity game where we're – sending our produce to a distributor to the grocery store what we are doing is telling a story and when we pack our csa boxes we arrange the produce in a way so it looks pretty we kind of wrap it in this fabric we have um, more and more beautiful photos of the land and the produce that we're sharing and uh, we're really trying to connect with people Mm -hmm. on an individual level you know, I'm trying to look people in the eye and say, yeah. like, how is the food? Yes. <laughs> what does it make you feel? Yeah. And um, what that does ideally is stimulates people to think, wow, this is different. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really adding a lot of beauty to my life. Yeah. So critical to our success as a business is – sharing the right stories in the right way, Mm. meeting people where they are. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you want to change behavior, you have to pace and then lead. Mm. So we're meeting people where they are with what they're used to, which nowadays is convenience, Mm -hmm. um, beautiful photos and uh, stories. I love that, that there's um, instead of, I think that what happens too, especially because there are a lot of listeners, right? Like most of us are doing things by ourselves, which means we can't play, like you said, we can't play the commodity game. We're not like Instagram mm-hmm. influencers by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. which means that relationships and storytelling and meeting people where they are are like the three elements of connection-based, I want to say marketing, but it's like, yeah, connection-based marketing. Yeah. 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 And um, the thing about that is it's sort of a slow build. Mm-hmm. As I'm sure you're aware, mm-hmm. um, it really happens one or two at a time. Yeah, and in that sense, it's very rewarding because the connections are real. Yeah, um, and then so what we try to do is create a project product that people want to tell their friends about. Yeah, yeah, and um, mm. you know, if we have 
one person telling their closest friends and then they tell their closest friends, mm-hmm. then, you know, eventually we'll have 10,000 people in Seattle with CSA boxes from Spoonful Farm. And we'll, you know, be more than, we'll be struggling to produce as much as we can sell. Right, right. And then you have that many people who are also totally bought into being loyal to soil. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the idea. So, um, yeah, what's been the, if you don't mind me asking, feel mm-hmm. free to just tell me if it's too much. Mm-hmm. What's been the hardest part about making all of it work so far? Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, you're a year and a half-ish into it, right? Like, yeah. there's a really steep learning curve. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And I will say there has been a steep learning curve with the land and the farming aspect. Mm-hmm. This past summer, we had... Um, an absolute explosion of voles in the garden because last winter wasn't a hard winter. So it didn't freeze super hard and the vole population didn't diminish. So this year they exploded and they would take one bite out of every single beet rather than eat a whole beet. They would take one bite. (sighs) So we probably, you know, that's a lot of product and money that we had to either compost or feed to chickens or eat ourselves. Some of it got processed into, um, the the ferments yeah but that is a real challenge the wind at the farm is a real challenge um but more than all of those things um well i was recently at this conference down in portland the biodynamic agriculture conference Mm. which was amazing and inspirational and um there's a lot of Biodynamics is a bit uh, of a spiritual approach to agriculture. Yeah. So there was a lot about um, how do we become the people we need to be to treat the land the right way. Yeah. And I had so many conversations with people where we would talk for 10 minutes. And then at the end of those 10 minutes, we would say, yeah, the hardest part about farming is the people. Yeah. And... I think having, you know, working in an organization is always difficult. Um, Not least because the educational system in this country Mm -hmm. is based on individual performance and competition. Right. So how do you come together as one single? So how do we unlearn a lot of these habits Mm -hmm. that drive our uh, behavior and our speech to prove that we are better than the people around us. Yeah. Um, and instead build the people around us. Yeah. And help them grow. Wow. And on a farm, I think that problem becomes particularly acute because yeah. there are eight of us living at this land that is, you know, there are eight of us. Right. <laughs> it's an eight-person town, eight-person yes. community. Yeah. And we're colleagues mm-hmm. in a work sense. Mm-hmm. And we're friends. And we are more or less housemates. Yeah. And so navigating the complexities of all three of those relationships at the same time really has been the most onerous challenge yeah. so far. Um, and uh, personally, I've made a lot of mistakes I've learned a lot. I have uh, dropped the ball. I've done things I'm not proud of. I've learned a lot about myself and the ways in which um, I can grow and change. Yeah. Which has been such an amazing opportunity. Mm. 
And, um, you know, we're working on it and we're realizing the crucial importance of principles like the loyal to soil and then these three sub principles and then kind of getting into the nitty gritty of how do we structure this organization so that everyone knows right. their job, everyone knows, you know, unload the dishwasher if it's clean, like <laughs> living together, simple things like that, that um, over time are make or break. Um, so that's been the biggest challenge. And um, out of that challenge, really, when we get it right, the food is better. Mm. You know, the product is better. Yeah. And so as the person doing the marketing and sales, I am hyper aware of the fact that, you know, our product is most of the marketing and sales. Yes. Like I can say whatever I want, but if right. but the product has <laughs> yeah. to be has, to, has to be through. perfect. It mm -hmm. has to be better than perfect. It has yeah. to surprise people in a good way every mm. time. And so really dialing in the relationships on the farm is critical for creating the right product. Right. Getting the culture. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's been the biggest challenge. And that's been, ah, it's been There's growing no up. Plan. I know. I know. I was going to say like loading and unloading the dishwasher. It's like adulthood, but we have to learn it. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think too, that we think that, you know, you come together as friends, right? You think it may be easy-ish, mm. but like that's the relationships and the personal responsibility and the self-awareness, like when that many people come together. I mean, even if it's two people, I even think about like just relationships with like my support team and stuff like that. Uh, it's the only part that you can't really control. Like mm -hmm. the voles happen, you deal with the voles. Mm -hmm. The beats have a bite taken out of them. You figure out how to do, yeah. you know, something with that. But, like, the personal relationships aren't, like, a one-and-done kind of thing. Definitely not. And it's it's uh, sort of a wonderful and odd parallel with the whole loyal to soil hmm. thing, mm -hmm. which is, like, we're, you know, we're taking care of the basis for life. Yeah. And then life happens. Yeah. <laughs> and applying that approach to our team and yeah. our culture is oh. really even more difficult than applying it to the land. So uh, with the person managing the garden, you know, if I come to the garden and I see, oh, there are a bunch of weeds over here, like this needs to be planted like today, yesterday. Right. <laughs> and um, I say like, what are you doing? Like, what are we doing? Yeah. And really kind of um, – second guess and undercut them and try to control try to take control that yeah, way, yeah yeah it's not going to work it's mm -hmm. going to break down mm -hmm. and the attitude has to be look i know this person i trust this person i know that there's a plan i can just go in and ask how can i help yeah how can i help you're what dealing with I the do? soil of the business in essence yeah mm -hmm. so and and people you know you're trying to uh set the conditions properly so that people have the nutrients, you know, spiritually and the capacity to thrive. Yeah. I like that analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, um, I mean, that's that's how we have to do it because we have to practice what we preach mm -hmm. on every level. Right. And especially if 
you notice, I mean, I think whatever it is that we do for our work in the world, right? If the foundation isn't set, whatever comes out as the end result, especially if you are wholehearted, heart-driven, mission-driven humans, like whatever Mm. comes out at the end, if like the foundation is wonky, is going to be off-center and off-kilter and not actually fuel or feed anyone or anything. Um, And so paying attention to that, I think it's the least sexy part of business ownership, right? Because like none of it is flashy or beautiful photos or whatever, but Mm -hmm. like it is the most important thing. And I think as a solopreneur, like somebody who just runs it by myself, that same relationship has to go to myself as well as I imagine Mm -hmm. it has for each of you as well like that. Making sure that your self-awareness is on point Mm -hmm. or that, like you Mm -hmm. said, like when you mess up, you own up. Yeah. 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 I really like applying that to your relationship with yourself too. Yeah. I haven't thought about that so much, but I'm also a writer. And so I'd spend a lot of time working alone. Yeah. And, you know, when you're writing, like I wrote it, I'm finishing another draft of a novel and, um, you know, you can't force it. Mm -mm. Like there's this balance where you have to say, okay, even if I don't feel inspired today, I'm going to work on it. Mm -hmm. But you also have to give yourself, you know, some slack and let it happen. And, um, it's like creative discipline without expectation of the outcome. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Precisely. Yeah, (laughs) it is tough, but, um, that's, it's kind of the only way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. You try to do it any other way. And I just think it comes out so weird. Yeah. Yeah. But I like how, um, sort of this, this orientation towards the towards yourself towards the people around you towards the world at the world at large it's all sort of um it's all the same yeah and uh it's not what we're taught no Isn't that interesting yeah we're, we're taught, taught the exact opposite we're not literally <laughs> the opposite yeah <laughs> so um gosh i think you know i learned so much in school and i benefited from that so much and i think about like this is a side tangent here, but for my own children. We love side tangents. <laughs> for my own children someday yeah. when they appear. Yes. Like magically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when they <laughs> materialize yeah. out of the ether. Then uh you know what is what can I do to help them uh you know, treat themselves properly and treat the people around them properly without getting caught up in these kind of ego vortexes yeah that um, yeah that really like the education system tends to create right like how do you create the um yes you're learning some great things and Mm -hmm. here's something to compliment yeah you're learning yeah yeah like i don't want to homeschool necessarily my children and like not be able to teach them calculus you know right. like they should do calculus right it's not gonna happen <laughs> if it comes from me yeah, yeah i'm not i don't know if i'll ever teach calculus yeah um but somebody has to yeah exactly so um and and uh and that kind of makes me think of another uh balance here which is between sort of the um barefoot like toes in the soil mm-hmm. and uh you know hippie farmer 
right. dream, which I love. And yeah. I've lived that life and felt so good. Yeah. And engaging with culture at large, mm. you know, mm-hmm. in order to make a real difference yeah. in lots of people's lives. Yeah. Um, and yeah. It's just a continual balancing act. Yeah, I think so. And I think that any time with anything, almost anything, those polarities of like full-on rural, not connected to anyone, or like deep, deep, deep in like the concrete jungle, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like either of those polarities are, I mean, there are so many different ways that I feel like it shows up like... If you think about business, right, like there's like the super strategic side and then there's the deeply creative side. If you go towards either pole exclusively, mm-hmm. you start to miss out on what happens when they come together. And I think that we can become siloed in those thought patterns. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that change happens there. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. So yeah. flexibility and kind of the openness to move between worlds yeah it's critical yeah it's exciting to to hear that there are larger scale operations i mean Mm -hmm. y'all's produce is amazing too but like larger scale operations just in terms of accessibility too like for people to be able to have access to Mm -hmm. something that is truly um life-changing or world and world-changing from like the produce itself to also like the knowledge of who is growing it and where it's coming from and the life force that lives there, I guess. It's really empowering. Yeah. I I think about that often too, about the food access. Yeah. We are working on ways in 2019. One of our focuses is um, expanding the reach of the food that we grow, expanding the number of people who can buy it. So in our CSA program, uh, the first thing we're doing is creating kind of an optional uh, donation add-on. So say um, for someone who can easily afford the produce box, they can add an extra $5 per week. And then that box um, or that $5 subsidizes another CSA share for someone who qualifies for food stamps or ebt i love that yeah i I love it too and it's um a good little first step um kind of testing the waters and um enabling you know people to share the wealth yeah and um creates a community within your subscribers as well yeah absolutely yes precisely yeah Mm -hmm. which is beautiful to witness yeah um and and then there are other things that we're doing to kind of like um, partner with different organizations. Last year we partnered with uh, an organization called U power that teaches nutrition and cooking classes for underserved youth in South Seattle. So anytime somebody was out of town during their CSA delivery, they could say, okay, just donate it. And we would, you know, we ended up donating, I think around 20 boxes to, uh, you power to that's awesome yeah for their cooking classes and yeah um there are a number of organizations like that feast is another good one f-e-e-s-t mm-hmm. and we are exploring a partnership with them for next year and um i think what we can offer is 
this sort of land connection to what they're doing, which is empowering people with uh, cooking yeah. and nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the ability to cook is uh, heightened when the limitation of seasonality is added. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, limits stimulate creativity. You know, understanding, okay, we don't have tomatoes yet. It's only April. Right. Something like that. But we have all these greens and we have turnips and stuff. Right. Like we can create amazing Something deliciousness. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 I agree. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So it's winter. Mm -hmm. You're like smack dab in the middle of like not the growing season. Yeah. Um. What happens now during, like, I'm always fascinated about, uh, we just had an episode on seasonal businesses and like mm. those seasons of our businesses when we have to rest, like, it's just not a busy season. Like this is, you know, we can either beat ourselves up because we don't have profits coming in or whatever, or we can like really take advantage of this time yeah. to plan for the future yeah. to actually find some rejuvenation in the time off. What does a winter look like for you and what are you looking forward to in the next season? Hmm. Winter is a slowdown time. Mm -hmm. um, less so for me as a marketing and sales person. Right. Because this year we do have uh, forever food. You know, we have ferments that keep in the fridge forever. We right. still have eggs and we have meat that is frozen. So. Right. You know, we, we're selling. Yes. We're at the Capitol Hill Farmer's Market. We have a meat and egg CSA going. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, my job is to keep the revenue flowing, to keep the business going. And so that, you know, that involves more or less constant work. Right. Um, which I really enjoy. I love it. Yeah. And um, at the same time, there's no the plant, no plants are growing. Right. <laughs> at the farm. Right. And so there's a lot less care and harvest to do uh with that and a lot of what we're doing is um really strategizing because mm. once the season hits right all bets are off it's a sprint yeah and if you stop to look around then you're getting behind yeah and so uh we're taking stock of what happened last year and mm. looking at our mistakes looking at our successes looking at uh what worked best and making decisions about how to operate next year. Yeah. And I'm really excited for next season because season three at Spoonful Farm is when we really hone the systems. Mm. You know, we mm -hmm. know we know more or less what's working and what's not and right. who we are. And now we need to figure out, okay, how many people exactly does it take to make the garden perfect? Mm at this scale with, you know, 60 right. CSA members, four farmers markets, um, and, and maybe a restaurant account or two. Yeah. And, uh, what's the timing on everything and what sort of infrastructure, um, needs to be updated, uh, you know, w things like washing produce, right. you know, you don't, as a consumer, you don't think about like those minor, little aspects of the business, but, uh, as a producer, <laughs> you run into, huge problems yeah. and huge wastes of time. So how do we make our systems um, optimally efficient, optimally productive and um, scalable? Mm. So this season we're really focusing on that, mm. dialing it in. We're not growing. Yeah. Um, we're not, you know, 
we have goals to get to several hundred CSA members, but this year we're sticking to like 60 to 70, which is the same as what we had last year. Yeah. And, um, with our management of the animals for the soil, you know, the cows should be moved once a day, mm-hmm. which is a lot. And it requires us to build some fencing and it requires right. us to be really strategic about um, making plans and keeping records. Mm. Um, things which when you're super busy and like the cows are hungry, right. <laughs> you know, right. this past season, we're just like, okay, we're moving them now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we don't have a, actual detailed record of what exactly we did right um in broad strokes we understand and um so this season is really about um dialing things in a scalable way yeah so that we can set up a system this year that has uh, that doesn't cause frustration or burnout. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in 2020, we can hire four additional people right. and serve an additional 100, 150. Right. But you got to figure out how customers. to make it sustainable energetically. And also, like, I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago um, with this woman who her she's a she runs this financial firm that financially supports businesses who model their businesses after like the six laws of nature. And one of those laws is efficiency, right? So Mm. like making sure that like, I think sustainability happens when you're efficient with your resources as well. Oh yeah. That's beautiful. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. I'll pass it along. Yeah. I think biomimicry is, um, it's very cool. A noble sort of principle to operate on in every sense. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I was like, I listened to it. I was just like gnawing on it for weeks. I was like, Mm -hmm. what is this idea? Makes me, so excited about thinking about how to do that on a small scale as well. Yeah, especially because on the farm, you know, our our one of our goals is to have the farm be an ecosystem. Yeah. So that we don't need inputs from off the farm. Right. And um, everything is sort of self-supporting. Mm-hmm. That's why we have the animals, right. you know, because there's no ecosystem in nature. It doesn't have animals mm-hmm. to cycle nutrients. Right. Um and you know we're on the way we'll probably always have to buy feed for our chickens Mm -hmm. oh but speaking of that Mm. i'm very excited this is the kind of thing that really i'm nerd out on i love it we just found a new source of chicken feed Mm. for our egg layer chickens and it's this awesome farm out on the coast that grows organic and traditional grain barley and peas and um so it's chicken feed that is cheaper it's local uh, it's not certified organic, even though the practices are organic, right. but it's in transition to organic. Um, and up to this point, we've been feeding from these 50 pound plastic bags of organic feed, which come from who knows where, Yeah, like could be South Dakota. Yeah. We really have no idea. It's just, it's, it's good feed, you know, right. it's, uh, the chickens are healthy and everything, right. but, um, Sort of like for a CSA member, it's really nice to know where your food comes right. from. For us as chicken nice growers, it's really nice, nice to know where the feed comes from. That's so cool. Yeah. And like in order to really uh, – the solution to our food issues are not top down. Right. You know, just like climate, just like economy, right. just like culture in general. It has to be at least half bottom up. Mm. And – what we're encouraging people to do is to 
choose to support a bottom-up uh, transformation in their own lives by buying local food. Mm-hmm. And so what we, we need to do the same. Right. Even if it means we can't put the organic label on it, right. I have to have trust in myself that I can tell the story. Like, look, this feed is, it's, everything's about it. Everything about it is organic except the the label, the government right. label. Right. And it's really, it's supporting a farmer who's, you know, my age, mm-hmm. like we're buddies. Yeah. And he's growing so his cool. grain. Yeah. It's really really a special connection and I'm really excited about it. He just delivered it to the farm yesterday. Yeah. The first two tons of chicken feed. That's so exciting. Yeah, I know. I'm really excited. It's exciting <laughs> as somebody who buys the eggs. So, mm. um, as well. And I think too, I think a lot about this. We're recording this mid-December. Mm-hmm. Uh, around this time of year, as we're all buying gifts, like I always think about, um, hopefully I think about it all year long. But I think a lot about where financially we are sending our resources as well. And I love the idea of being able to support local and small businesses because the impact of that is mm-hmm. so deep to mm-hmm. be able to spend your money there. As we wrap up, as you know, there are two questions that I always ask my guests. Mm. The first is who or what makes you feel your bravest? And that can be on an individual level or an organizational level. Mm. Do tell. I think I can often make myself feel brave, mm. but not always. Yeah. And um, I'm really lucky to have a mom who is a, sort of a mama bear. Yeah. And she um, is both protective and encouraging to a degree that I cannot even fathom Mm. and um so my mom you know when i yeah come to those moments of uh self-doubt of burnout of kind of being at the end of my rope Mm -hmm. you know yeah um, it's and when i make real mistakes yeah you know yeah which is frequent yeah um uh humanity humanity yeah there's (laughs) it's um i think being forgiven Mm. is really helpful to being forgiven and being accepted is really helpful to being brave because um, it reminds you that, you know, you're not going to die of exposure. Right. You know, yeah, you're okay. I have food. I have ultimately so many people who love me. Right. And whether I succeed or fail, that's the case. Mm. And, Mm. um, Knowing that is really what enables courage. Yeah, I agree. Um, where can our listeners learn more about what you do and the farm and mm-hmm. your work? Uh, we do have a website. Yes, you do. Spoonfullfarm.com. The full has two L's. And there is no S. It's not farms. It's yes. one farm. One farm. For now. Spoonfulfarm.com. <laughs> and um, on Instagram mm-hmm. at Spoonful Farm. All of this will be in the show notes, by the way. And uh, we're on Facebook as well. Awesome. I would say Instagram is the most lively way. The 
place to, to be. stay up to date. And if you go to spoonfulfarm.com, you will likely be prompted to sign up for the email list, which uh, I maintain and I send the emails and they are sporadic and I try to make them pretty. Yeah. And kind of each email is a little bit of nutritional value for your mind. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> They're lovely. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for being here. I appreciate it. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to A Braver Brand. To find more resources, show notes, and exclusives, head to www.katekmccarthy.com. If you loved this episode, make sure that you subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're at it, leave a rating and review. Our work relies on listeners like you, and we're grateful each and every time you spread the word. Whether this is your first episode or you've listened to us since day one, you know that I am all about Instagram. Come find me at Kate K. McCarthy and then reach out and say hi. I adore you already. Thank you to everyone who makes this podcast possible. A Braver Brand is produced by me and my slam bang behind the scenes team. Catch you next time.